Blog Talk Radio. Yeah, this is your boy, G-Ski Rocks. And this is going out to the lovely, lovely women of the world. I know sometimes you have to make a hard decision. But I want you to think about this. conservative too. Oh, we're so. back with the titles. All right. Visible conservative Thomas Smith. Uh, it's an honor. And uh, today is June 6th. And I want to take a moment of silence to commemorate what June 6th really means. If you don't remember or are too young to have heard, today is right. the anniversary of the of D-Day. D-Day, which is, yes. That's right. Our our troops in World War II stormed the beaches of Normandy on this day. Yep. And uh, we were going to take about 10 seconds. Thank you, everybody. Um, and... We're gonna we're going to re- intro the rest of the show as we normally do, and then talk a little bit more about that. So, Thomas, please take it away. Deuteronomy chapter thirty verse nineteen says, "I record this day against you that I have set before you, life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life so that you." and your seed might live. Dear Heavenly Father, in the mighty name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we give you glory, honor, and praise. Father God, we are thankful on this day, commemorating D-Day, 
we are thankful for all the sacrifices that our soldiers gave in the service of our country. Father, we are thankful for your son, Jesus Christ, who paid the ultimate sacrifice so that we might be able to have a relationship with you. Father, we thank you for our show today, Lord God, dealing with a very explosive and a divisive issue, Lord God. And as we wind down this topic, Father, we pray that there is clarity that's brought to this subject matter so that people won't continue to be deceived by those with very evil agendas. Lord, we thank you for the voice that we you've given us here on Pro-Life True Life Fridays Radio. Thank you for our host, Letitia. Thank you for the wonderful guests that she successfully brings in. And I ask that you would bless their families, bless the information that they're going to present today. May it be effective in reaching those that need to be reached. In the mighty name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we give you glory, honor, and praise. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Thomas. Well, hey, can you summarize for us? Um, wait, let, before we do that, um, I want to continue in, in remembering that today is the day, and I'm so glad it falls on Friday this year so that we get to talk about it live on air, is, is the day I think was the last time that I can I can say that America as a country, acted with the type of bravery I would like to see um, and as far as our government is concerned. Right. That, that I would like to see more of. And in fact, I mean, it's so sad that we have to look to 1945. <laughs> right. And uh, so so long ago in order to find examples of self-sacrifice, of working toward a goal that is actually for the good of the entire world. Now, I understand this idea of when when a country should go to war and for what circumstances is very complex. So I don't want to make a, a complex issue, and I don't want to oversimplify it. But I want to say that um, the kind of resolve and the kind of motivation that Americans had going into World War II is not something I have seen much of in my lifetime. And I, would, and I see it in individual men and women who serve our country in the military. I don't see it a lot coming from the government that they're working for especially uh, in the last, oh, say, 10 to 12 years. I don't see a lot of that. And I wish to see more. Why is this a pro-life issue, Letitia? This is a pro-life issue because we are sacrificing 
and giving our blood and treasure, which doesn't seem to mean much to those uh, on the left when you happen to exist in the womb or when you happen to be incapacitated or when you happen to have no physical use that other pers- other people have for you. Um, but they would agree still that our men and women in service are this country's blood and treasure and that we shouldn't give away their lives superfluously on causes that don't have enough good enough reason to give them. I would agree with that. They would agree with me. However, um, I'm being consistent here, and they are not. And that is why this is a pro-life issue, is that there are causes in this world, such as that of World War II, that merit this intervention, risking one's life and investing one's bodily, you know, risking bodily harm, life, limb, family, etc., in order to make sure that other people and ourselves can be free. That's a pro-life issue. Yep. And I hardly think that most, even the most anti-war uh, youth protesters this, it, that we see today uh, would say that freeing countries from the grips of Nazi Germany was not a worthwhile cause. I don't, right. I don't, I don't think I've heard many of them say so. And I think those that say so would pop, would be very heartily disagreed with, even those on their other side, because everybody understands that without intervention, the continued extermination of Jews would be happening. The continued, and it wouldn't just stop there. It would go to Africans. It would go to blacks. It would go to Slavs. It would go to anybody that do, didn't fit the bill of the Third Reich as the most perfect people on earth, or those that right. are life life worth lives worth living. And the most useful and uh, worthy human beings on earth. So that is um, that brings us, because everything is connected, that brings us to kind of our topic. And so far, we have been talking about this white privilege conference and the issues that have been touched off by the white privilege conference. And right. it's all very connected. So, Thomas, if you would give us a quick summary of the kind of things, the kind of conversations we've had this week, um, share for us all those, um, just, just what's been going on in our guests. Oh, wow. Yesterday we had Reverend C.L. Bryant, and he, he essentially, he broke it down in a way that, you really can't you really can't add much to it he even got he even got into the historical aspect using his own personal you know his own personal family heritage and essentially what reverend c l bryant said was that the notion of white privilege doesn't honor those black men and women 
who who died in slavery, mm-hmm. who had a dream for their families to someday be free. You know, he kind of talked about how the, um, you know, slave men, they were proud, even as they, as they were being beat. And, and you know this from, you know, from historical data. These men, they wouldn't cry as they were being whipped. They were strong and they were dignified. But, you know, so he was talking about that. He was talking about how the Christian church in, in seeking to adopt this, this whole notion of white privilege, the evangelical Christian church is walking down, a, that's a slippery slope. Mm. And then you had Monday night, we had Jack Cashel and Babette Holder. You know, Jack Cashel, investigative reporter, white man who grew up as a minority in North New Jersey, where he, in his high school, he was one of only, I think he said, like two or three white people in his entire school. And he told a story one day of how he he went to play basketball and just to humor himself he decided to count how many black people was at the court in relations to white people. And it turned out it was eighty eight to one with him being a one. <laughs> and so so he Jack has has a perspective on the fact in the fact that he grew up in North Jersey. He he grew up in a family that raised the his, he was raised by his family that people are people so you know don't get to tripping off a of race and contrary to what the liberals try to say some white people actually do raise their children to see people as people actually a lot more does as do black people, black conservatives specifically. But you know what? This this whole notion of white privilege, I I can't wrap my I can't wrap my um, mind around it because of the fact. How do you explain a George Washington Carver who had gotten well? He created ten thousand products from the peanut in the sweet potato. He right. didn't do that because of white privilege. How do you explain the guy from Chicago? I forgot the man's name. I could see his face. But he invented the stoplight, black man. How do you explain the fact that, you know, because of the racist times, the man never got credit. Thomas Edison got credit for inventing the filament that's in the light bulb. But that's not true. The man that actually invented it was a black man. How do you explain that under the guise of white privilege? Because these men did those things in very, very racist times when it was legal to be racist. Right. So please explain to me, or could it be? Or could it be those individuals who are actually benefiting from white privilege, are they themselves 
crying about white privilege. And I'm talking about black liberals. I'm talking mm-hmm. about white liberals throughout the notion of white privilege when they themselves are the ones taking advantage of black people to get their agenda across in the black community. And that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> right, yeah, and we, we capped off yesterday's most powerful program by seeing how that, that this idea um, is infiltrating a lot of areas of American life. Of course it does. Of course, if it, it, of course it will. I mean, I'm just saying that anything that – and the reason – and I had, a, I had this conversation with uh, Pastor Brian on the phone about why he – I asked him why – are pastors latching on to this? And not all. I'm not saying pastors in general. I'm saying there are some some pastors that want to kind of be ahead of the curve, I guess, um, in in pastor land. You know, when there there's a competition, there's an unspoken competition. I mean, it's everywhere. Competition among pastors who could be uh, more cutting edge than the next guy, the next pastor. Right. And this is kind of the next cusp. Latching on to this idea of white privilege. Because it seems to be so academic, to be uh, the the hot the hot topic of the day, and um, I, I'll tell you I'll tell you my experience with this, and this is why I felt pretty strongly about wanting to put this on our True Radio Network. And I had always known that we've I mean Al Sharpton's been around for decades. Jesse Jackson has been around for decades, and he was known, Jesse Jackson was known for being an extortionist. He would go to, with, from his Rainbow Push Coalition, go to various big businesses and say, if you don't donate money to my Rainbow Push Coalition, I will accuse you and your company of being racist. And so uh, pay me money. And a lot of businesses did that. Because the last thing that anybody wants to be accused of, I guess, in this society is to be a racist. Uh, right. Uh, I mean, the next, the next wave is coming is that you don't want to be accused of being a homophobe either. But right now, uh, this, is what, this is how people have made the, a name for themselves, like Jesse Jackson and Al Sharpton. They have been race trading, like horse trading. They've been commoditizing the issue of race. They have been using race as a way to make a name for themselves and to make money for themselves. Racism, 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 racism. that's right, racism. And... This is probably just the next iteration. This white privilege stuff has been around for a while. And, but the first time I think I got really alarmed is when I went to my daughter's public school. And it was the principal of the school. Um, and he was sitting in from, uh, to make a very long story short, because it's, it's kind of rather involved, there was a presentation by some high school kids about how systems work. Now, we've all been primed up so that I don't have to explain what systems I'm talking about. The systems we were right. talking about yesterday, uh, the, the system of white racial privilege, the system of uh, uh, systematically giving minorities a disadvantage in, in school and in work and in uh, you name it, society. 
And I looked at that, and this was my first exposure to, to this type of reasoning on paper in my face. <laughs> and I'm like, I absolutely do not understand what is going on with this presentation. And, well, the, the principal at the time said because the, the kids there uh, had gone on a break, he started to explain it to me. And he said, well, there are certain students that uh, are, have advantages over other students. Um, they have have material things that other students don't have, and this gives them a an, a better identity, I suppose, a better personal view of themselves than those that do not. So those students that have fewer things, now these, this is my paraphrasing of his words, have fewer things than those who students who have more things suffer from some kind of identity problem that affects the way they view themselves and their performance at school. And I took a step back and I said, did I really hear what I just heard? That what you have in your hands and in your room and in your pockets and at your closets affects, directly,